0: Hey, everybody, this is Eric Krasno. You're listening to the Plus One Podcast. want to thank everybody for tuning in and thank everybody that's been subscribing and listening and sending us messages on Instagram and emailing us. Once again, if you have any suggestions or any questions, K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Hit us up with some questions and we can talk about it on the next show. I've been enjoying being here in my studio and being home, but I'm ready to do some shows. Uh, During Jazz Fest, I got to see a lot of virtual shows through my computer, though, which was great. Uh, People like George Porter, Ivan Neville, and uh, just a lot of other great musicians are getting online and making videos and learning how to use this technology to connect all of us so that's been really great i'm doing some dj sets here and there and actually been collaborating with different people sending tracks around and doing videos so so that's been fun you know the one good thing about this time is everyone is home so i I can get in contact with musicians and say hey man put some horns on this or put some drums on this and so there's been some some great collaborating going on Uh, shout out to osiris media who helped me make this podcast uh, a reality. And they also have a lot of other great music podcasts as well. So check them out. On today's show... We have yet another artist who I'm a super fan of. And again, I don't throw that around a lot. I know you've heard that in some of the other episodes, but that's because I'm taking this opportunity to be able to talk with some of the musicians that I really, really admire. And the guest I have on today, Emily King, is someone I've been listening to for a long time. And I listen to her records so much, and I consider her a huge influence on me and a lot of young artists And songwriters. Um, I hear her name come up so much when I'm talking to young producers and young writers. And uh, a huge part of that is Jeremy Most as well, who I want to mention, who also co produced my last album, Telescope, but uh, is kind of her uh, co captain um, in her last few albums, also her musical director, and a big part of, of her sound. I saw her perform with Jeremy at a tiny place called the Rockwood Music Hall in New York City at least 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, and that was when I started to hear her progression from her first album, which was more of a hip-hop R&B thing, and then to hear the first EP that Jeremy produced called Seven was when I really understood her as an artist and started really following her, and... uh, Fast forward to about two years ago, she headlined the Apollo Theater and to watch her command the packed house and watch all of her fans singing all the words to her music was just so cool. Her last few albums she's put out independently. She's been out on the road touring heavily. She did Coachella last year. In late 2019, she released an album called Sides which acoustified a bunch of music from her last few albums and subsequently did a tour just her and Jeremy playing all the music acoustic. The entire tour sold out. I got to see the L.A. show and be a part of that, which was really cool. Every time she got to the chorus, the whole place started singing along with her. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Miss Emily King. All right, well, today... On the Plus One podcast, I have one of my absolute favorite singers in the entire world. I'm a super fan, as she knows. Um, oh my god, Emily King!
1: Kraz, you're my friend. That's why you say <laughs> these nice things. No,
0: I really, I really do listen to your music all the time. Um Aww. not just saying that. I listen to your records the all the time. I know is all the mutual. Songs. I've been excited to have you on the podcast, um, because I'm actually curious, even though we're friends and we, we talk a lot, um, I am curious about your creative process a little bit and I want to get into that, but I also want to talk a little bit about, um, growing up in Manhattan, um, growing up with two singing parents and, and what that was like for you and, uh, you know, what yeah. then inspired you to become an artist and, and what kind of helped you create your persona as an artist?
1: Crash, thank you for having me on the show. Of course. And thank you for, for being, first of all, such a wonderful friend. Everybody yeah. should know that. Now you're going to get a lot of friend requests. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yes, okay. Well, now since you asked me about myself, I have to remember about my life. And uh, ironically, I'm sitting in the apartment I grew up in right now, so I can just look around and try to remember everything that happened here in uh, in lower Manhattan. What was it like? It was it was um, hamburgers in the dressing room and French fries. That was my favorite part of show business. And I think that's what inspired me to become a musician.
0: And do you remember as a kid, I mean, were you, were you touring with your, your parents and, and spending time with them on the road? Or were they mostly performing in New York? Like, what, what was that like, just being around them as performers?
1: Yeah, they, my folks were singing together. Uh, they're jazz singers. They, they were, at the time, kind of along the lines of Lambert, Hendricks, and Ross. They did a lot of that material a lot of American Songbook and Duke Ellington and bebop. So I grew up listening to all that music, which at the time I had no idea how really, how wonderful it was. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I was, like I said, waiting for the French fries and the hamburgers to come. Um, and they did a lot of gigs and we were always, you know, with them. And when we could be, they were at the Blue Notes and they were at all the, a lot of, clubs that aren't around anymore in New York. Um and I just remember music always playing in the house and they were always harmonizing and they always had their charts spread out all over the kitchen and they worked with some incredible musicians um Al Foster and Kenny Barron and all these there's so many people that again I had no idea or concept of, of what good and bad music was at the time but um, Now, in retrospect, it was a wonderful education for me and my brother. And uh, it it was always unpredictable. As you know, as a a musician, when's the next gig? How are we going to survive? And how, you know, one one day you're eating um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner. And the next day, you're in this beautiful um, venue with the people treating you like Kings for, for a night.
0: And when you were a kid, did you have an aversion to performing yourself or did you jump right into it? Did you see what your parents were doing and say, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that.
1: I kind of naturally felt like I could slide in, slide into it. And I, I enjoyed music and I, I always liked to sing, but I never really, you know, you hear these child prodigies and I was never like that. I remember when I first started singing, I'm thinking, I have no vibrato. I didn't know what it was called vibrato at the time. I don't, my voice doesn't quiver like these people. I, I, what am I going to do? You know, and I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do. Ooh, yeah. And I thought that, I don't know what it was I, um, I puberty hit. And then I could kind of do that. But, um, it, I guess it was just a natural transition, you kind of cross out things that you're not good at. You got to kind of try different things, ballet, cello, you know, so once I realized that, I, I leaned more towards music and uh, and I started to improvise. And that's when I started writing.
0: And what age were you when you wrote your first song? Do you remember?
1: I was about 15. I started playing guitar. I my mother hooked me up with a guitar teacher named Steve Bloom, okay. who was out of Brooklyn, Williamsburg. And he would come over to the house once a week. Do you know Steve?
0: I don't think Steve so. Bloom? I don't think so. I've heard that name. but
1: he, Yeah, he's just one of those like incredible teachers um, who just could really get you excited about the next lesson. And um, figure out how to get past my uh, unwillingness to practice. And, and do everything he wanted me to do and would just teach me how to play songs that I wanted to learn how to play. I think it was Red Hot Chili Peppers at the time. Yeah, he would come over once a week and then I learned the basic chords and I started kind of messing around and trying to create my own songs.
0: And so you were already singing at that point. So when you picked up a guitar, you were like seeing it as, okay, I'm going to be able to play my songs and company myself.
1: I think I, did, I wanted to be able to go to, I wanted to, you know, you're like 16 year show off mode. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's like,
1: how can I show off?
2: Right, right. Let's
1: see. I can't do this. I'm not a break dancer. Let's, you know, I can sing Kumbaya at a party yeah. and everybody's going to love it. So I thought, okay, let me try to, I got to learn a few songs so that I can sing them when people come over. I want to sing for them. I want to, you know, I want to show off. So. Right. Right and nothing's changed.
0: Right. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and then at like 15 or so, you know, were you instantly, okay, like, I want to do this. Like, I want to be a musician. I want to be an artist. This is what I I want my, this to be my job.
1: I did because I really hated school. I hated high school. I you know, I didn't, the, the public school system was really hard to be around and I didn't, uh, I, I, I told my folks I didn't want to continue high school. And we sat down and I said, uh, you know, I get it. I get, get what's happening. And this is what I want to do. I'm committed to it. And they supported me. And they said, okay, we'll just get your GED. So I went up to the Bronx one summer, took some classes, and they sent me my GED in the mail.
0: Wow. I didn't realize that. And at that point, were you already like, you know, working on getting signed and did you have a manager and was, what was going on, on, on that side of things?
1: On that side of things, I was, well it was my mother who really was like mapping out how to start uh, and you know, how to develop. um, We had a, a friend, Dan Casio who is a neighbor of ours and he works at, at the door at the bitter end still to this oh. day, he's still there. And, uh, so my mom said, "Emily's singing, you know, can you, she's going to write 10 songs and then you can get her maybe get her a gig at the bitter end. And, and, uh, and then I did that. I, I, I like figured it out. All the neighbors came. They were really nice to do that. I'm sure it was not very good. And, but they were very supportive, and it was enough that I was excited. I wanted to keep doing it, you know, and I made like, I don't know, 50 bucks. So I was excited about it.
0: And then what was uh, the experience like after? I mean, I know maybe it was three or four years later that you ended up signing with J Records, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I ended up right J Records. And so what was um,
0: the evolution like between that first better bitter end gig for the neighbors and then getting like a major record deal? Were you out just oh doing shows God. all the time? Were you was it more of like you were just making a lot of demos and 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 doing the rounds at the labels?
1: Yeah, my so mom had um she like this like the first it wasn't the first, but it was like a really early Pro Tools rig yeah. at the house. And so she was using it to record her music. And I would, you know, do some some music on there, too, and my brother. And I made a little demo. And she she said, OK, I'm going to play this for my friend Bill Brown at ASCAP. And because he might know some people. so So she did. And then I met with Bill who is a dear friend to this day, wonderful person. And he introduced me to a lot of different producers that back then, because I the idea was you need a producer, right. Um, to kind of cushion you between the label and, and what you're doing. And, uh, I, I met with a lot of different people and I, the person whose spirit I really connected with was Chucky Thompson. Oh yeah. Um, who's, who was a part of the hitmen when Diddy was oh, having yeah, his right. heyday and, you know, and all the music that I loved li- living in New York, growing up in New York, listening to Hot 97. Like, I mean, he was like a God to me, you know, I love that music. I just, so when I, I saw his, his, his list of music that he had done, Mary J Blige, Faith Evans, Nas, Biggie, I was like, yes, that's what I, you know. No. <laughs> yeah. And and also, he's just like a really wonderful mentor. So I linked up with him. I signed a production deal. And he said, oh, I'm going to take you around to, to record labels and you're going to sing, play guitar. So that's what I did. I sang for everybody, Sylvia Rohn, L.A. Reid, um, and eventually landed at Peter Edge's desk. Who um, recorded over several months, and we kept making demos. We would play him demos. he be like, "Okay, that's cool. Let's, let's try another one." You know, right. so like, okay, how many more goddamn demos do you need? Right. Let's sign me, make me famous. Let's right. go.
2: Right.
1: And so it was a long process. Now that I look back, I mean, everything in retrospect is so fleeting. But I do remember thinking, "Oh my god, this is never going to end." And it was happening. Um and then when I eventually I sang for Clive Davis in in the office with uh you know all the A and R people around and then I got signed. Um, and how and old then were you I, at that moment? Yeah, how- I was I was nineteen or twenty. I, yeah, okay. And you know, again, like way too confident and way too. I, I just can't imagine liking the person <laughs> that I was now that I think about it. But I think you have to have that kind of naivete when you're starting out and thinking the best thing ever. But they beat it out of me. so
0: <laughs> Right, right. I'm sure they did.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple of uh, mind fucks later, I actually had some really wonderful people too. I should really acknowledge everybody. And the thing is, when you're young, you just don't really know. I I applaud people that do know how to say no, but I didn't, and I'm, I'm a natural people pleaser, so, you know, um, I would just go along hoping that things would work out, and then I could have my way. I could, if I just sing the bridge this way, that this person wants me to do it, or if I just, you know, write this song that I don't like, then... I'll have my way. And that's not how it works. You know, you can't really bet on anything, but your own instinct. Otherwise, I mean, you're a damn fool.
0: Right. And then so, uh, yeah. the, your instinct is going to bring out the artist, a, that you truly are. And then also, you know, your fans, you know, f- fans can see through when things aren't really real and when it's not coming from the heart of the artist. Um, yes, yes. And you know, and you were only, you were 19 and 20 years old. It's hard to know exactly what you want at that time anyway. Right.
1: That is absolutely right. Uh, and I, I think I, you know, there's, it just had to happen that way. And I, I really am grateful for that experience because everybody was, had good intentions and, um, it just the time was a development time. And I, I learned so many valuable lessons. And my bubble was burst in so many fantastic ways that I thought, you know, I gave up like uh, once an hour.
2: Right,
1: I just right. quit, you know, several times. And that's a testament to the people around me, the, um, from Chucky e. Thompson to a lot of people at the label and my, you know, my circle that were... They were saying, just keep going, yeah. even though we all were kind of lost. But look, I got a lot of good um, sushi out of the deal. <laughs> and I yeah.
0: and yeah, and that record is a great record. I mean, it's it, 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 it's Chucky e. Thompson end up producing the whole thing.
1: He did. Yeah. And that was the best part was just being around Chucky because he's yeah. such a brilliant musician. He's just he's completely natural, self-taught, and he can pick up. An instrument, and just play whatever he's hearing and whatever needs to be um, replicated. Just complete. He just knows, and I, I mean, watching him make beats on the MPC, and and just hearing him um, the way that he would deal with people around him, just very much like a sense uh, a guru, you know, just right, a, right. a great mentor. So I had a lot of time with him because we spent about three years after we got signed trying to make records, making records. Yeah. And and some of those records I really do love to this day. But of course, you only remember the bad stuff.
0: How long were you actually on J Records? That was a few years?
1: I was on for about three years.
0: Okay. And you toured with Alicia Keys, right? And, and some, of, some of the other J Records artists. and
1: I, Yeah, I opened for her. Yeah. And I, I toured with John Legend. Right, right. And I toured with um, Floetry and Life Jennings.
0: Oh, yeah, Life Jennings.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is that
0: actually how you met Jeremy?
1: No, uh, strangely enough. I know he did gigs with Life as well. Yeah. And, um, man, Life was a great performer. I, yeah. I really enjoyed watching him. He would flip his coat back when the when the beat hit <laughs> <laughs> but um i no i met jeremy right around the end of my uh cycle with j records yeah and thing a lot of things were changing in the music business the internet was just becoming a tool for artists i mean MySpace had just been created yeah and uh so things were changing in the industry and thankfully we parted ways amicably me and j records And I met Jeremy because I hired him to play a a show when, when my other guitar player couldn't make it, who actually, he was highly recommended from this guitar player, Ricky Ramos.
2: Yeah.
1: Shout out to Ricky. And, you know, ever since then it kind of just worked out because Jeremy, a lot of people don't know this. He had like a demo going around within the New York city musician community and it, it was under the um, the name Rob Remedy. And uh, that was, his, you know, his secret name or, or something like that. But I loved the music so much.
0: Yep. I got, I got a copy of that back then, and too. That
1: got to you, too?
0: Yeah. For those of you that don't know out there, Jeremy Most is a producer, a great musician, um, and plays a little bit of everything. And he has become... Emily's kind of co-producer but also performs with her I feel like the two of you together have created a sound that's so unique um and I so many musicians and producers you know look up to both of you so much and and the music you guys have created together in the last 10 years has been um kind of a benchmark and it's it's I think it's timeless um, and, oh, and, and somewhat game-changing. I know I'm throwing a lot of
1: Fred, big words Again, you're I, being super I, nice because we're friends.
0: Um, no, it really, I would not, I, I would say it um, anyway. Any anyway, so after,
1: thank
0: you, yeah, no, I think the pairing of, of you and j together is one of those like legendary pairings. Um, but getting back to, um, the J records thing. So when you left, were you discouraged at all or were you kind of excited for the next chapter?
1: Thank you for those sweet words. I do love working with Jeremy. I was, I think he, you know, it was a miracle that I met him during that moment, just like really just a little bit before um, I got dropped from the label. And there was a lot of financial changes for that point for me. I had before I was, um, I was spoiled. I was in the studio ordering Chinese food and sometimes I wouldn't even record, you know? Right. right. And, um, I was not really appreciating what I had because I didn't know better. And so when I got dropped, I didn't have any money again, which I was used to, but still it's never fun. um, and Jeremy said, we're going to try and make records together, and uh, we can do it grassroots. And with some help from our friends, we, we got the home studio situation happening. And he was already really good at Pro Tools. Um, and he taught me a lot of the shortcuts. And uh, we started working together. A lot of trial and error. Uh, he was... One of the first collaborators ever had where I was like really truly honest about stuff. Right, right. Because he, because I learned from him. Yeah. (laughs) What brutally honest can do, which is you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but you, after compromising so much in my other life, I decided this is not going to happen. That's not how you make something you're proud of. And I learned that from him.
0: I really did. First time I saw you perform, I think was at Rockwood and Louis Cato was playing with you.
1: Oh my God. And
0: Jeremy was playing with you. Cato. Yeah. Cato, who's who's a genius who can play pretty much every instrument. Um, And I think I may have met you before, but that's when I saw you again. And right around that time, you put out an EP called Seven. And I remember putting that on and being pretty much blown away um it also cuz i had heard you before that and always loved what you did but this seemed like a statement that was um just so unique and oh, the production you. and your songwriting combined um was just something like i'd never heard before and it was really raw but also polished at the same time if that sounds it might sound weird but um did you know at that time that what you were creating was great? Were you really proud of that record? Did you consider that kind of a a turning point
1: as an artist? No, is the answer to that. I think um, I, you know, as you know, when you're creating something, you get these glimpses of, ah, oh, this feels good, you know? Yeah. And then you try to chip away at the stuff that doesn't feel right. And you try to figure it out and piece it together like a puzzle. And uh, Jeremy is, we're both perfectionists, but he takes it to the next level.
0: (laughs) I know. By the way, for those of you that don't know out there, uh, Jeremy and I have also made an album together. And I have seen firsthand... Uh what is she what she's speaking of. And that's also what's so great about him as a producer and as a musician, um, is his attention to detail that in certain cases I would totally miss, you know.
1: Me too. That's why we're yeah, I love that album, by the way. It's beautiful. And yeah, there there is that balance, you know, where you don't want to overthink something. Right. And I think we've we've both grown since then, but at the time we were really struggling with wanting to make sure there was no low frequency, you know, because we I was um, during the course of that album, I lived in a few different places. I lived with my grandmother and I recorded out of her closet. I lived with my mother. I lived with um, a woman in Midtown. and and out of her townhouse on 51st street and that's where i wrote a lot of the songs on seven but we were trying to recreate an actual studio sound which was ridiculous and we really were like torturing ourselves over that and um but there were these these moments that felt a little more effortless when i wrote georgia that was kind of um one of those like times where it's not it doesn't hurt (laughs) it's just you know you're not overthinking it you don't even really think anything of it at the time you just kind of let it happen and it's 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 kind of boring and you're just like when is when can I eat lunch yeah and then (laughs) you listen back the next day and it's it's all right it's something kind of cool I don't know I'm always trying to get to that place um which is funny because the the way you get there is not to try to get there. It's just by working. But for me, I love to think about working more than I do actually working.
0: created Georgia do you have did you have any idea how many people would cover it and sing it and I mean I hear that song all the time
2: oh and
0: it must be a a cool feeling to know that you created something that's (laughs) made waves like that
1: thanks I, I I gotta say there's nothing new under the sun right so when I when I was humming that melody you know I thought well let's go with Georgia (laughs) it's been proven tried and true that's true it's a nice word to sing yeah and it was it just kind of came out naturally and uh i I thought this isn't the first time a song's been written about georgia but it just kind of fits here so let's just put it there um well a
0: a lot of people love your version a lot of people sing that version i I hear it um and that album as a whole i just want to note that also some of, like i love that i can like hear like the your teacup like on the <laughs> on the table oh, or whatever or you can hear things like oh, outside God. um it does seem very intentional although in the conversations i've had with you guys about it you're like oh well that was just there so you know we left it in there or this particular thing i did in the the living room or whatever um but i just love well, it well
1: it's not a mistake if you do it twice
0: i guess that's true
1: Uh, You know, you kind of have to fool yourself because there's so many mistakes.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Beautiful mistakes. But I think, you know, that's that's what makes it its own thing. Um, And what you and Jeremy do, like I said, it sounds like nothing else. After that, the Switch album, um, you guys also put that out. And I I might mention that Seven and the Switch, you guys put out completely on your own, right? No label.
1: Yeah, that's right. I was... I had, um, what is it called? Post-traumatic stress. <laughs> I, I, I just thought, man, this is, let's ride with this. I like not having to explain what we're doing. And I don't want to have to pitch it. And I don't want to knock on anybody's door because they're not knocking on mine. And the, And that was the truth. Nobody was knocking. And it was, um... A lot of self motivation, a lot of encouragement from family. My brother is a huge support and uh, really push pushes me to this day. And, and um,
0: he's also he's, a great musician and one of the greatest tap dancers.
1: Oh I've ever yeah, seen thanks, Amazing. Chris. He your is, family,
0: like the talent in your family, is just unbelievable.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, Al he's he's so much better than me in every way. Um, but I'm grateful to be, you know, in a family with people where we can talk about the creative process just like we do. And
0: I I just have so much envy. I want to be in your family so bad. You are uh, in the family. Oh. But you're uh, my
2: brother. you my other brother. I brag about you
0: guys all the time. But you know, I, I just think um, the evolution, you know, from seven to the switch, and then um, everything you guys have done you know since being on j records um has such a unique sound and you've built this following that's really impressive i mean i go and see a lot of your shows i saw you in a packed house at the apollo everybody in the entire room singing to every single song and that that's the great thing about coming to see you live is like your fans are so into it and I just love watching them sing every chorus and it just must feel so good to have built something really from the ground up especially having the experience you had with Jay Records and coming out the other side with like this beautiful following of people that just support everything you do.
1: I am so grateful. I, I feel like the, you know we're we're lucky because um we're we just kind of put out this song, this kind of call like SOS. That's how I think of the songs that cry for like help, you know, and then, and then other people like-minded people, they heed the call and they come and we find each other because we're the same and we're, we are a family and the shows are, it does feel like that. Like we're all just, we know each other because we have so much in common and, uh, you know, I tell them every time that they keep me alive because um, it's true. You know, every time they stream me on Spotify, I get a little breadcrumb in the mail.
0: <laughs> a tiny little breadcrumb. Um, and then your most recent album, Scenery, um, or actually there's, it's your last uh, fully produced album because there's also Sides, which is an acoustic album that you guys put out, acoustic-ish album.
1: Um, yes.
0: but scenery was nominated for two Grammys and that much, it must just feel great to have kind of rebuilt your career in this way where you get that much, um, accolades and, and, and so many fans supporting what you do. And how did it feel to get that news?
1: You know, it's funny because I, well, years, years ago when I was on the label, I, I got nominated for a Grammy. And I went to the Grammys and I wore a dress that I didn't really feel comfortable in. And I did, um, you know, we didn't win. And I had a, a celebrity hangover the next day. And I just felt like I didn't feel good. Right. I didn't feel good. And it wasn't because I lost. It was because I was nominated for something that I didn't love. Yeah. And going there this time. Being an older person and having the knowledge of what it really is all about. So, you know, I, I mean, not all of it. I'm still learning. But it just felt like I can just enjoy being at a party with my friends, who I worked really hard with. Jeremy and Ben Kane, who was also nominated, who, was, um, who won a Grammy for D'Angelo's record for mixing. is an amazing friend and mixer. And we were just there having fun, you know, and we didn't, we didn't, again, we didn't win, but it was, uh, it was nice to have like life experience going into this situation. First of all, not to take it so damn serious. Also just to um, dress up and like cheers to life. And we, we made something and we're here and, you know, Jeremy got best dressed
0: on some website, which was like <laughs> no, I love
1: super that. weird.
0: I was so proud to see you guys get nominated for that winning or not. Um, just cause of, you know, the, I mean, it's also, it's the journey that you guys have, have had through these ups and downs or whatever, but also just that you guys, no one's crafting what you're doing. You guys are just making art and making what you want to make. You're not catering it towards the system or towards any label or whatever and that that got recognized. It just felt good. And, and for more than anything, I was like, Oh, well the Grammys are actually doing something cool here, you know?
1: Oh, uh, well also you should be proud because you let us stay at your house.
0: Yes. You guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've been sheltering us for years.
0: Yeah. You know, well, you know, it's, it's my, it's an honor to have press, such press great code, musicians you here. Know? Yeah, Kraskov. Cove. Well, you guys also housed me up in uh, in Woodstock when I was making my
1: record. and That was super fun. You let me in and, and cooked me food every day. and But I put too much cheese in the pasta, remember? That was I was great. so mad at myself.
0: I mean, it tasted amazing. You know? <laughs> I probably put on a couple pounds that week, but...
1: Uh... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not a professional cook, but uh, those were good times in Woodstock. I remember that I'm kind of, you know... I'm in the city now during this whole Corona stuff and I'm like, wow, I should be in Woodstock in a country in a cabin right. hiding.
0: Right. Are you playing and, and writing a little bit during your downtime?
1: I picked up the guitar more during this time than I have for a while. And I'm it does I've heard a lot of people say that if they feel like they're sixteen again.
2: Yeah. Because
1: they're, you know, they're either with their folks or they're just there's nothing on the books. Right. You know, there's no grown-up responsibilities right now except to stay alive. And um, me, I, I've been living with my mother for years, so I'm—I feel like I'm 33 again. We are roommates during this time, and my—we've been singing together, which is really great because we never used to do that.
0: I know. I've been—I've been seeing that. That's—I love watching that. Are there records growing up either that your mom played you or that you found on your own that inspired you as a songwriter? Because I think you have such a unique approach to songwriting. I feel like there's so much in there. You make soul music and R&B music, but at the root of it, I feel like there's folk music. There's, you know, so many different elements in there. So I was just curious if there's one or two artists that kind of flipped on a switch for you when you were younger.
1: Some people listen to music and they hear the, the production. You know that, and some people listen for the baseline. Some people, but I always just like, you know, get to the chorus. Yeah, what's the hook? What's yeah. the hook? And I love, um, well, growing up listening to Ellington and Gershwin and all of these incredible songs where you have the verse, but you have the bridge. And then it goes into the song and there's like a catchphrase and it's just... The, the lyric and the melody describe the feeling so perfectly. There's no... There's no difference there. They're both working hand in hand. And for me, that's a great song is when those two things, they're just like swimming parallel to each other. just And um, so thankfully... I always go back to those old songs because they're just like the best, most well crafted songs. But then you have the Beatles and they really um, affected me. Um, Motown, of course, Stevie Wonder. Um, Cat Stevens is one of my favorite songwriters. I love Simple. I don't, I can't um, digest that many notes at once I like memorable lines I love when when a song has not only a, a catchphrase that is clever and true but it also has um, a melodic line an instrumental line that is memorable and you can sing a memorable melody on top of it so it, for me that's like the perfect combination. And, and then if you can record it with a fucking electricity and energy, yeah. like My Girl or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. and it just, all of those things come into play, and then you have a great performance of it, then that's the fucking best. Because that shit is hard to do.
0: <laughs> that combination, well, you guys have done that so well. And the way you guys pull it off live is what's really blown me away, especially in the last few years, like seeing you at the Apollo and seeing you in all the different places. I've seen you, uh, Coachella this last year, um, the dance moves, (laughs) the drama, no, for real though, the dance moves. But, uh, I mean, you are really taking the performance to, another level. Every time I see you, it just gets better and better. Um and the band obviously is so tight. But um are love, there
1: love my band.
0: Are there performers that affected you in a way, you know, to kind of help craft like your vibe on stage? So I mean, Prince, yeah. Prince comes to mind a little bit. Um Yeah. Any any others that that you want I'm to trying to at?
1: remember like early my earliest um, excited moments were really Michael Jackson.
0: Oh, yeah, of course.
1: Michael. I mean, just so exciting. And what I also love, I just love the old-fashioned entertainment, but I, I also, it's funny how when you're young, your perception is different when you're older If someone else did what Michael Jackson did today, I'm sure I would hate on it, right? Like, immediately, you know? There's so much corniness in his everything. And I now have come to, as an adult, I'm just gonna accept that I love corny shit. (laughs) Like, corny is... If you can do... If you can pull off corny shit, then you have my heart because what draws me to Michael Jackson's music is a lot of it is his playfulness and just being able. And Stevie wonder does it too. He, he'll just go into some voice, like sound like Sesame street, you know, and you'd like, what? I would never think to go into this voice. Like, yeah, yeah. and it's just this playful quality that is, you know, I think it's really important to, to the music that I like to listen to anyway, of course, not all music should have it, but i tried to bring that to my performance because i like to have fun on stage and yeah. i really want people when they come to the show to have fun
2: sure. so so, have
1: so when we were working on the last couple of records i just remember thinking like we gotta have you know i really want to have groove. so i like i would write songs starting with the drum so i would like play a drum beat like this the switch I would just I played a drum beat and then I wrote a song on top of it because often if I just sit with a guitar, I'll lull myself to sleep because that's how I play guitar. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, I'm actively searching for a fun moment to be shared with the audience. And now when I make records, I try to think in those terms, like how will this translate to to being? Which is strange now because we're all quarantined in our homes. Um, but, but even that can be shared virtually that, that kind of energy and fun and playfulness.
0: Yeah. And we're all figuring out ways to do that now to connect with each other via screens and microphones and various things. Um, do you think, what do you think was going to happen from all this? Do you have any, any, uh, I mean, obviously we don't really know, but, um, are you? I don't know.
1: I have hope. I have high hopes. I, you know, I think it's someone said to me, This is the hygiene revolution. I said, Oh my God, please, yes.
0: I think, and I've talked about this a lot with my other guests on the podcast, that of course it's a crazy situation and it's horrible how many people are getting sick. And especially now that people that I know have gotten sick. And in certain cases, some music people that I knew have passed away. It's becoming more and more severe every day. Um, but finding some sort of positive in it is that, you know, we're slowing down. I and mean, in certain cases, maybe the environment is benefiting from from some of yeah, this. Sure. And, and, you know, in certain cases, we're spending more time with our family and connecting with our friends and working on our crafts a little bit. So um, as horrible as it is, I'm hoping that some change will come out of it that may be positive overall.
1: Absolutely. I, it is, um, never ever seen anything like this and I keep trying to find old people that have seen stuff like this. I keep asking my grandmother, are you sure you've never experienced? No, I've never seen it. This is the first, well, that makes me feel better. Right. Um, but it is nice to connect. And I've, I've been talking with her more now and I talk more with my father and I, I think um, there is a reprogramming happening with me and I'm sure a lot of people where it's like your focus changed overnight so here I am like on a hamster wheel career career this and that and now it's like what how can I make a healthy meal and just sit and enjoy it without watching TV or anything just how can I you know who who needs a call from me today who Who can I connect with, make sure they're all right and um, let me get better at my craft and let me, you know, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what to do. It's been nice in the city. Because if I was upstate right now, I would be so worried for my family. Right. You know, because when you watch the news, New York is like number one in the most cases. And it's just terrifying. And, and being here, of course, it's different when you're here because uh, you're not as afraid because you're here. And you're going outside and you're waving at the neighbor. What I appreciate about more than ever now is that we are close. And, of course, I keep 10 feet away myself. But I just mean that we're, you know, even seeing other people, it makes me feel better about what's going on because um, you there's a humanity that exists that does the news does not do very well at portraying. Right, this is true. Even when you hear the statistics, you just hear numbers. You don't hear. You don't. You don't know. You can't really in your brain translate that to a human being. So I'm glad I'm not completely in the woods right now. Although that was my first reaction was, all right, I'm taking everybody. We're going to rent a five-bedroom house in Montana and just fuck it.
0: <laughs> I know a lot of people have done that. But I've also heard uh, my business manager was telling me yesterday he's walking the streets of like the Upper East Side and it just feels so crazy. And he he's yeah. actually, in certain ways, just I've never experienced the city like this, like completely empty after 7 Never. O'clock. Um, No, I mean,
1: closest you get is like New Year's morning in the eighties.
0: Right. But he was also like, it's, it's nice right now because I don't have to travel or get in a car to do any, I can go get my groceries and it can be delivered. There's a lot there's certain things that actually make it safer. Um, It's easy to get things delivered to your house or or you don't have to go very far to do things. And
1: yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. There's, there's a lot of bodegas and markets, whereas the bigger grocery stores are cleared out. You can still find things at the yeah. smaller markets and um, there's courier services and things like that. I, I can't even I'm not even going to complain it because. Um, I'm young and I've got what I need and I'm grateful, but I, it. you are seeing a lot of people out there who don't have there's a lot of homelessness more in, that's more obvious now, of course, because everybody else is indoors. So I'm trying to, you know, bring a banana or something when I go for a walk because everybody's hungry. But um, there, there's never been any time like this in the city. I think it's also okay to enjoy what you can. I, I go for walks at night and I distance myself, of course, but I love walking. I love walking in the city. And I'm telling you, there's no traffic and there's yeah. no drunk motherfuckers. Yeah, and there's, yeah. no, you
2: know, yeah,
1: all yeah. this shit we complained about, all the the, the bros and the yeah, things. Yeah. And, the, you know, I wouldn't go down McDougal because it was always disgusting. He's like, yeah. you have to walk and vomit. And there is a peacefulness happening now. Of course, the result of something tragic. But I say enjoy what you can because that's what we just have to do to survive.
0: We just got to hope that we come out of this and still can create music and play shows and, you know, everyone can go back to work. And
1: Are you going to be, like, able to sit in a restaurant now knowing what you know that you can get virus?
0: That's crazy. I, it's going to take a minute for things. I don't think anything will actually get back to normal, but I do think we'll think things will even out a little bit. I think that the after coronavirus is going to be different than before, you know, but yeah. Um, I think we'll get used to it we'll get used to washed our hands all the time <laughs> oh to, yeah i just hope yeah. that the social distancing thing isn't doesn't become normal you know i hope that yeah that we get back yeah. to being able to hug people and no i, I and be, really hope
1: it does and be, i hope uh, it continues to be uh, in crowds be and, <laughs> and, i know and i <laughs> hope that
0: i hope i can see you perform again sometime soon no
1: yes but and, i'm not trying to shake nobody's hand anymore okay <laughs>
0: All right, that's fair. Can we outlaw
1: that for good?
0: That's fair. We'll do bows. We'll do like (laughs) the Japanese.
1: Let's do the bows. No, I yeah, I I do believe this will end and that we'll come back together and rejoice and feel, you know, so grateful that we made it through. Yeah. But I really, yeah, I mean, there's a whole other conversation, but it would be nice if there was already a system in place that supported everybody so that the next time this happens, right because it's going to happen again, at some point that there's some sort of medical in place and then support. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens with that.
0: So hopefully that we, we pass through this as as quickly as we can. Um, and we don't lose too many people in the process, you know?
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Please wash your hands and, and, um, Wash your hands. Stay home, and and stay positive, and and enjoy a, a TV show. You know, have a little snack. A little snack. You know, make a little macaroni and cheese.
0: Listen to some Emily King records. Um,
1: hey, now you're talking.
0: And meanwhile, um, check out the newest record. Sides is really beautiful, and it's kind of like almost like a greatest hits, in a way, right? <laughs> And Greatest non hits. Great, and it's like kind of an acoustic take on it, but it's it's really great. And Sarah Bareilles is on a track. Um, yeah, I love that that's song. My favorite. Those people out there that have not heard Emily Emily King music um, on Instagram, right? That's
1: great. Right.
0: And just check her out on all of the ways that you listen. Buy some vinyl. I love how it sounds. And I'm
1: vinyl. also singing on one of your songs.
0: Oh yeah, she's on one of my on songs, your last on record. My last album, Telescope.
1: That's um, why I love your record so much.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> and Jeremy Most produced that, who was, you know, a, a big topic on on this podcast. But I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And my
1: pleasure, but Send my, my love to the family. I'm, I'm so excited for this podcast. I mean, not for this episode necessarily, but I really enjoy um, when musicians talk shop. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh,
0: we just pretty much are off the cuff and we've had some really great guests. I've been lucky to, to connect with some great people. And, uh,
1: well, you're, you're, you're a good friend to many. Like I said, friend requests are going to go up after this.
0: Yeah, man. I wish I, I wish I had more (laughs) left. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But, uh, yeah, everyone stay on the lookout for Emily. Hopefully she'll be coming to your town sometime soon. Her live show is like the greatest out there. And uh,
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: Um, again, your biggest fan. So um, I can't wait for the next album. And hopefully in this time that we're, we're all sitting at home, you can write some more amazing songs and again, so we can hear them.
1: Well, let's do some more stuff together.
0: Let's do it. Let's do
1: it. Let's
0: do it. All right. Thanks, Em. Appreciate you. Thanks, Krazo.
1: Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Once again, I want to thank Emily King for being on the show today and thank all of you for listening. Remember to tell your friends about the show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you listen. Also, if you want to email us, Kras plus one, Kras with a Z plus one at gmail.com. And now I'd like to end with a song by Emily King. This one was actually nominated for a Grammy this year under Best R&B Song. It's called Look At Me Now.
2: Are you hearing about me? How you dealing without me? Hello. Did you keep all the records? Do they sound good without me? Alone Heard you got a new lady. Is she driving you crazy? Too bad. Did you keep the apartment? Does she like what we started? So
0: One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer, produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email plus One at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com Send me some questions, maybe I'll answer them on air Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show Thanks again for tuning in, I'll see you next time